We are in a series that we've been in for a long time now called Made Right in the Book of Romans. And I say made right every week because the only way that we can be right with Jesus is because of what he has done for us on the cross. Amen. And we open our hearts to that. We'll be in Romans chapter 14. We're going to read verses uh, 7 through 23 in our study here today, and we'll get there. I titled this, There is No I in Team. No I in team. And I think it'll make sense as we go along here. But uh, we're just going to open up with a word of prayer and kind of jump into this as we do here this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your love uh, in our life. We thank you for a church, Lord, where we can gather and we can come together. And and Lord, we can take that so for granted in a world um, that's so broken. But Lord, you know, being in Israel and being in Jordan and being in Egypt and being in Turkey, Uh, These last uh, few days, uh, Lord, you get to see um, the longing people have to be accepted, to be loved, to be cared for. And uh, Lord, you have provided this country with just so much wealth and and so much opportunity. Like I said, there's a church almost on every corner. And uh, Lord, I pray that, as Larry was teaching last week and reminded us even uh, from John, his revelation there in the book of revelation the church at ephesus that uh, lord we would we would never lose our first love and that's really what it comes down to when we keep you first in our life everything else just seems to fall into place but when we lose sight of you um lord everything just becomes in disarray and so lord thank you this morning that we can open up your word and no matter where we've been this week no matter what's been going on you just you settle the storm just like you you do Uh, Lord, here. And Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to say, I love you as a church today in worship and our giving now through studying your word. And may you, Holy Spirit, uh, be our teacher today. May you transform us and change us, Lord, from glory to glory, that you'd be glorified, that uh, God, we would be built up and those around us would be edified as well. That's our hope. It's our prayer. It's what we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, as we look at, you know, the book of Romans, we're in this last section, if you recall, you know, from chapters 12 through 16 on the will of God, you know, and it gets into how do we know the will of God? And the only way, you know, Paul says that you're going to know it is first understanding, obviously, what Jesus has done for you. You know, if you go back to chapter 12, and he says, you know, I beseech you, you know, brethren, by the mercies of God, right? So he says, therefore, in light of everything that you've read in the first you know, 11 chapters in light of everything that God has done, his love for you. The, the reasonable act of worship is to give your life to him. It's the best decision that you'll ever make in your life is to decide to live for Christ, not to live for yourself. You know, as Larry was teaching last week, that it's really the antithesis. You know, so you're either going to be a lover of God or you're going to be a lover of self. And they just, they, they're constantly combating, you know, against one another. And the renewed mind, though, we understand, it seeks the things of God. So, you know, the person, like, uh, you know, I've said many times, you know, if you you see someone with a worn-out Bible, it usually belongs to someone who's not. Or like that expression that says, you know, uh, the Bible will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Bible. And and it makes sense to us, I think, that we, we get that. We understand what Paul you know, is driving here is the importance of just saturating our minds, you know, with the word of God. And 
and as we do that, like I said, there's, there's transformation, there's change and, and it takes place, but it's not necessarily immediate. And I think that sometimes, you know, when you live in an instant world, um, you know, we have microwaves, you know, that, I mean, how many have microwave, how many have a microwave? Most are probably everybody, right? There are some people that still don't have them because they go, mm, I don't want those going back and forth and, you know, but if you have one, how many stand in front of it and watch still the food? You know, you're like looking, you know, it's like, come on, come on. Even though it's a microwave, I find myself, I'm like, geez, what's taking so long? You know, in the old days, you have to heat the oven, right? Put the stuff in and it's everything so instant. And we're still just like, I'm just not patient, you know, I, and I learned that, you know, about myself. One of the things I, I really loved about if I, I thought, Lord, if I could, if I could just live anywhere in the world just to have fun, where would I live? And I thought, man, Egypt. Cairo would be the place because it would, this, this is unbelievable. They don't have car insurance in Cairo. Okay. They had like, like picture, you know, a freeway with four lanes of traffic with, and in Cairo, they don't have necessarily white lines to divide all four lanes consistently. They're there occasionally, right? You know how you drive on a the road, they worked on it. Like even, you know, our good freeways, right? They might have the a line and then all of a sudden they've covered it over with asphalt or something because, and then you're not sure, is that, am I in my lane? Am I, and you, and you, you need those, those markers, right? I mean, you rely on them. They don't care in Cairo. There's eight cars wide in a four lane freeway. You literally, you can, you can open the window and touch the car next to you. We had over, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not embellishing this. I'm not exaggerating anything about this. We had over 60 near death misses. I mean, just, and, and the driver is awesome. I mean, he's, he, he didn't, he was like Mr. Magoo. Things were happening all around behind us, but not to us. We were just, and I was like, man, what it'd be to be an Uber driver in Cairo, you know, just, oh, I thought this would be it. You know, you've, you've really arrived, you know, there, but yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's crazy, you know, um, and the things that people, you know, have to, you know, deal with, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, like I said, we have, we just have it so, so, so good, you know, here in the United States. Um, so when, you know, when, when God you know, is encouraging us to, you know, have our minds renewed and Paul is just driving this point home, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to love people the way that God wants us to love people, if we're going to love God the way that God wants us to love him, it will only happen as we put him first and foremost in our life. Um, there, there's a reason for that order. Everything flows out of a relationship with God, a right relationship with God. It's what puts everything into its proper perspective. You know, so much of religion, and, and I, I have to confess, I mean, I, I didn't really know anything about Egyptian culture or anything before, you know, we went there. I mean, I was looking, my really only desire to go there was to try to figure out how to connect, you know, Egypt in a biblical manner, obviously knowing the Old Testament, you know, on Mount Sinai. Um, but if you remember in, when Jesus was born and Herod determined to kill all the babies, you know, Joseph and Mary were warned to flee to Egypt, right? And they went all the way to Cairo. There, There's marked places all through the upper portion of, uh, you know, Egypt there where they went and they stayed. And they know that because churches get built on every site where, you know, through uh, oral tradition, you know, Jesus, you know, was ever at or any prophet, you know, or anything of that, uh, that magnitude. 
but uh, so that's you know when I was looking there you know in Cairo, um, but I saw um, something that was so unique you know in Egyptian culture that the psalmist says that God has placed in every heart the ability to know Him right, and then you look at the way that you know non-Christian religion begins to try to reach God. And the Egyptians are amazing because obviously, you know, if you look at hieroglyphics and, and you see, you know, the, the invention of paper, you know, papyrus and, and, you know, writing, I mean, so many things that we have that, that came out of the Egyptian, you know, culture. So you get these pictures of what people tried to do. And for the Egyptians, they didn't put a whole lot of stock in this life, which is interesting because the word of God says that we are to be what? Pilgrims. We're sojourners passing through, right? And this is what made the pyramid so fascinating, that the kings, they would put all their effort into building this pyramid. And you've seen it, the whole process of mummification. They, they believed in the afterlife. And, and so to do everything they could to preserve the body, and, and and then to make a mask, right? And I was wondering, what was the purpose of the mask? They have like three coffins, right? But they'd put it, you've seen them, where they make the, like a mask of the face. Usually they're out of gold. And because during the process of mummification, ultimately what happens? The body, what? It decomposes, right? So they were thinking, okay, so we need to make a model of the person's face while they were alive. So when the spirit comes after they're dead, the spirit would not look at the mummy and go, Whoa, whoa, don't know who that is, you know, and, and you got to appreciate that. And they go, so they look at the, this, this face, this, and they go, oh, that's King so-and-so, right? And so they put all their effort and energy into preparing for the life to come, which, which the Lord was just, I mean, I can't tell you how much he was speaking to me. My mind was just spinning because I'm here in Romans, right? And it's be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Because it isn't about this life. It's about the life to come. It's about getting ready. And here's, you know, 3,000 years before Christ, no mention, you know, obviously of Jesus. What weren't worshiping, you know, what we'd say is the God of heaven, you know, as the Jews. But they did believe in, in, in they came to believe in monotheism. So the things were happening. God was stirring in their hearts. And it was so fascinating. So then a pharaoh dies. And so what did they do? If you've seen some of the, there's a new um, uh, museum just get ready to open in Cairo. It'll be the world's biggest museum. And they're calling back all their artifacts that they have, you know, at all the other museums around the world. And, and the, one of the latest ones they found, it had over uh, 5,400 uh, individual items inside the pyramid, right? And not only do they build a pyramid, they've learned how to take the air out of the pyramid after they place the bodies in the tombs to do what? To remove the ability for it to, for it to decompose, or at least at a slower rate. And so their belief was that if you were good, so then they had these scales, right? This was interesting. You think, you know, we serve God. What does God call us to do? He calls us to love mercy and to do what? Justly and to walk humbly with God. And have you ever seen like the scales in Egyptian hieroglyphy, and you see where it has a feather on one side and a heart on the other, and they're in the scale. And I'd always look at that and go, what the heck is that? And, and so I'm asking the guide, he says, well, it's simple. He said, a feather is what? Very light. And he goes, and a heart 
And he goes, so when you see in the hieroglyphics on for the, the king, if, if the heart was way down here and the feather was up here, then that meant in the, in the picture language that what? The king had a heavy heart, which means he had an evil heart. But if your heart was pure, it was light. So they, they communicated through pictures and what would take, so, they're, if the, so you wanted your scale to be like this, right? You got it. So it's balanced. It's a light heart, which meant, you know, a pure heart. And, and so I'm talking to, you know, the, the guide, I'm like, so what do people do to get right, you know, with God and the whole process of religion is what good works. You're trying to do this. You're trying to do this. And, but your hope is that when God judges your heart, you know, and it's a lot of what we see here in Romans 14, when God judges your heart, that he would find you to be just. And so for the Pharaoh and I, and this was one of the most fascinating things outside the pyramid are these like little mini pyramids and, and they keep his boat in one, which is, you know, you think boat, why would he need his boat? And they go, well, because when he, when he raises from the dead, they believed in an afterlife. They believed that he would come back and then he'd get on his boat. He'd put all his stuff back in that was in the, in the tomb and he'd do what? He'd go back to his palace and he'd go, voila, you know, I'm back. And I'm, I'm listening. I go, wow. God was putting it in the heart of man from the, from the beginning of mankind, his purpose and his plan. But you and I, because we have the Bible, we now get to look with unveiled face. We get to see, we get to behold the truths of everything that we read in the book of Hebrews, that those that, that died in the faith, that says, they all died with what? Without receiving the promise. It says, but they saw it yet afar off. And so for us today, you know, to look at this and to take it to heart and go, God, you know, you have a purpose and, you know, you have a plan, you know, for us and, and you want, you know, us and of all the things that we could grow as we learn in this, you know, is to love God and to love people. And so Paul began, you know, in, in chapter 12, he you know, starts with the inside out. It's not religion. It's not, you know, do all these things and you'd reach God. It's when you're, when you're not conformed to the world, that's what the world does is trying to squeeze you from the outside in. God's going, I want to change you from the inside out. And it, how am I going to do that? Through my word, through my love. You're going to learn the story of God's love for you and, and how God operates with you and how loving he is to you, how merciful he is to you, how patient he is with you, how kind he is to you. And then he says, and then I want you to show that same kind of love that I've shown you to other people. And you go, God, I can't do that. He's right. You can't do it on your own but you can do it with me. And that's why Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself to God as a living sacrifice every day. You know, we wake up, you go, God, I can't live this life, you know, without you, I need you. I want to be mindful of you. You know, I want to think we, we try to find all kinds of things, right? To, to keep our attention on Jesus. I get a cross and I put it on, you know, I put on a bracelet, you know, what would Jesus do? You know, uh, anything I can do, a t-shirt that's got, you know, scripture on it. So anything, you know, that'll just, Help me keep my mind focused on Jesus. And you go, well, the Jews do the same thing. They have their phylacteries. We're walking there. And they got their little boxes with verses on their heads. They, you know, they've got their, their outfits. They're doing everything they can to what? Keep God ever before them. And then you go, what's happened? And you go, well, it's real easy to become, you know, distracted. I was talking to our group. I said, hey, watch the kids. Watch the kids at the Western Wall where they're praying. I go, this is just religion. They're not into this at all. I mean, they're going like this. 
and 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 they're looking around. They're they're going to be like, who who are all these people? Because there's just tourism, right? And they're just kids. You'd expect that. But they're doing what? They're going through the religious process, but there's no intimacy with God whatsoever. And you go, am I judging them? No, not at all. I know exactly. <laughs> Been there, done that. Been there, done done that. Do that. You can, you can, you can. You've done it. You, you can be listening to somebody thinking about what are you going to say, or you can be listening to somebody going, I really don't want to listen to the, you know, and be off in your own little thing. You can do the exact same thing with God, or you can be attentive to God. And so Paul, you know, in chapter 14, all the way through verse 14 in chapter 15, I shared, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he's just going through what is God's will? You know, he wants us to know it. So when you ask, or somebody asks you, you know, what's God's will for my life? Just go back and read these chapters. I mean, it, he lays it out. It's not, it's not hidden. He doesn't want it to be hidden. He wants it to be open for us. There's nothing to, you know, that God wants to keep from us. And so uh, what he wants more than anything else is us to know his love. That takes us all the way back to Romans chapter eight, right? Just kind of blows you out of the water. You know, when you think about, you know, there's no condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. And he ends it with, there's no separation for them that are in Christ Jesus. You are safe in Christ Jesus. You are preserved in Christ Jesus. You are saved by Christ Jesus. And so, you know, what Paul is then alluding to here in Romans chapter 14, as we look at this, is he's basically saying, how much pressure did God put on you to get you to change? When you think about it in your own life, how much pressure has God put on you to change? Or does he draw you? And there's a big difference. Because the world, like I said, is pushing, it's conforming. You feel the pressure. Peer, we call peer pressure, right? You, you, you feel that. But there's no peer pressure in Christ. It's a willful decision. It's a choice that we get to make because that love has to be a choice. It's the choosing. That's that's one of the most, you know, the greatest compliments that you could pay another human being is to say, I choose you. It's like what a wedding is all about, right? You go, I choose you. Of eight billion people on this planet, I choose you. And that's what God is saying to us. He's going, I have chosen you. I choose you. And, and when that begins to set in, he's going, and with that kind of love, and you go, but, but, you know, like Larry was singing, it's extravagant. Oh, Lord, your love's so extravagant. And, and, and then to show that kind of love uh, for other people. Uh, we, in, in Israel, it was really interesting. The last day that we were there, I had a, a conversation with our tour guide. And um, he said to me, and it's one of those things that's humbling and you forget, you know, Jesus, you know, he, he said very clearly, he said that he would leave the 99 and he would go after the one, right? And, and you think about what's so wonderful about that message is not that, you know, it's not so much the message to the one, it's a message to the 99. So when the 99 are reading it, they're going, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not lost today, but the good news is I know this about my good shepherd. If I was lost, what would he do? He'd come look for me. He'd come find me. So we were sitting at dinner, and uh, I said, hey, I just want to thank you. I said, you know, you've been a very, very good tour guide, and we, we've been really blessed. I go, I've heard so many wonderful things, you know, from, from our, our group this year, and I just want to thank you. And he said, um, you know, I wanted, I've been wanting to talk to you. He said, uh, um, I always crack, crack up when somebody says this. He goes, you're different. And uh, 
course I'm different. I know, I know that, you know, I, I'm weird. I'm strange. I, I understand. And I kid around all the time. So I was trying to think of, so I'm, I make everything light. I am not, it's not going to, when things go wrong, I just, I just, they don't really, I don't get too excited. And, uh, we had something go really wrong. And, uh, he said, he goes, uh, you know, I, I serve in the military and he goes, I, I know, I know what a leader is. He goes, you're a leader. And I, and I go, it was funny. I go, well, not really. I go, I wasn't even here most of the time. I go, I was, I was in Egypt. And he goes, that's how I know. And I'm like some, you know, so I'm kind of taken back by it. And I said, so, so what, how do you know that? And he goes, cause you have good people. And he said, and, and you trust them to, to do, he said, uh, John, he said, he taught. And, uh, he said, you had him teach. And, uh, he said, and Jason, he said, you know, he was, he, he's the one who communicated. He goes, but, um, when your situation happened, he goes, you stayed and you sent everybody else. And, uh, and I said, what do you mean? And he goes, you stayed. He goes, I, I do this for a living. He said, if all the other, they go and make uh, somebody else stay. And he goes, he goes, you, you, you spoke to my heart. He goes, I, I understand when you say, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd. And, and so it meant something to me because it wasn't obviously why, you know, I did what I did. I did what I did because I knew that that was the right thing to do in that, that moment. But it's the thing that Paul is reminding us here in Romans 14, um, as he's going, you know, somebody's watching the weaker brother, especially the weaker sister, they're watching, uh, reminds me, I could maybe to put this into perspective for you. Um, most everybody here knows who Charles Spurgeon is, right? Charles Spurgeon was a cigar smoker. He was a big cigar smoker and he would fight anybody who would say, you know, that's wrong. You know, the body's a temple, the Holy Spirit, you're destroying it. And he's going, yeah, that's what you say. You weigh 425 pounds and you're telling me, he goes, why don't you quit eating, you know, whatever you're eating. And he, and literally it was, he would get into these open public debates and, and he would defend his liberties in Christ Jesus. He said until later in his, his ministry, and he gave up smoking by the way. Um, but he did it because of this. He was, reading the newspaper one morning, as he always did. He was, the guy was a vivacious reader. I mean, he read, I mean, if you think he wrote to see what he read and, and there was an ad uh, for cigars and it had a big, you know, full page ad and it had the cigar on there and the name of the company. And it said, uh, smoke the cigars that Charles Spurgeon smoked. And he saw that. And he goes, and I did not want to be the stumbling block of offense. He said, because there's people who shouldn't be smoking that they'll say, well, Charles Spurgeon does it. And if Charles Spurgeon does it, that makes it right. And he goes, and that's not love. And so he checked his own heart, which is just such a wonderful thing because, you know, we all should be doing that in our life. And that's what, that's what Paul, you know, is doing here. You can't read the New Testament, right, without you know, I think of Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight, you know, where Paul writes, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ had, though he was God, he did not 
think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. It shows, what did Jesus come to do? Serve. He said it himself. He said, I, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That is the life of Christ. That is the Christian life. But it's so opposite of what we see in our world today. First Corinthians 6.19, Paul would go on, he'd say this, and even though I am a free man with no master, he says, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. He says, I've become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. So basically what he's saying is, what it, whatever I, I got to become, to lead you to Jesus, that's what I'm going to become. Because he didn't lose sight of the reason that we're all here. We're here to glorify God. We're here to take as many people with us, you might say, you know, to the kingdom of heaven. You know, so it was really interesting, you know, for our tour guide, you know, in Israel, because he's going, you know, I never understood why you guys went to Petra. He said, I thought you guys just went to Petra because you like the red rock. And I said, no. I said, we go to Petra because that's where the Jewish people are going to be fleeing to one day. He's, he didn't even know the story. So I was able to share that with him. And, and then what the escape is, is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I was just praising God. I go, God, I would, I would do it all over just to have that one conversation. Then we have a, a Muslim uh, taxi cab driver. And so immediately, you know, I always ask while we're driving, and I'm sitting in the front seat right next to him. I said, hey, uh, so uh, what faith are you? And he's Muslim. I said, oh. So we just started having a conversation, you know, about faith. And, and I, I know we were driving from the airport to Jerusalem. We got about 30, 40 minutes. So well, we go into a really good, deep conversation, you know, um, about Muslim faith and why I think the Muslim faith, you know, isn't the, the correct faith. And, and based on what he's telling me, you know, why he believes it using, you know, the Bible. And so, but he's articulate. I mean, he's, he's educated, so he understands. But it was reasoning. And. So he gives me his card. He's like, and so I'm, I'm going to send him um, uh, Sammy, uh, like it starts with a T, his, his book, uh, God Loves You, My Muslim Friend. It's written to reach Muslims from a Muslim. Um, and so I thought, I'll get him that book. And so I asked him, you know, hey, could I send you something? He's like, yeah. So I, I, I got his number. And, you know, everywhere you go, you just have these opportunities to, to engage people. But it's not through like I said, trying to debate them and, and beat them down or anything else and say, hey, you know, you're wrong. It's, it's, it's drawing them in the same way that, that God draws us in. You know, he doesn't beat us down. And, and so Paul reminds us of that. And he's going, just because something, you know, I, I shared with you, you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, as I ended the service, you know, I really want you to think about it, getting back on track in, in this study in Romans. You know, there's three questions that we, we need to constantly ask ourselves you know, that if, if the, what I'm doing in my life, is it, is it glorifying God? Is it beneficial? You know, is it helpful for me? I had ended the service I read to you, you know, from first Corinthians six twenty three, And I, I gave you three things to think about, you know, to ask yourself. And the first was, does it help me? So when you're thinking about your liberties and you're thinking about the things that God is allowing you to do in your life, you go, Hey, I know I feel it's okay to do this is to ask yourself, you know, biblically, is it helping you, period? And then asking yourself, you know, does it help me get closer to Jesus? Just because 
it's lawful. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 23, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And, you know, there's all kinds of non-essential things that we get involved with. Um, but we need to start thinking about, you know, more and more because of the world in which we live in and what's happening in the world today with people becoming more and more distant, you know, from God. Like I said, just because something's legal doesn't make it necessarily good for you. And again, the second thing that we need to ask ourselves based on that same verse is, does it hurt me? Does it hurt me? Can the practices that you're in in this life, I mean, can it become addictive to you? Can you lose control? Can it take control of you? And, and that could be anything. You know, people, oh, it's, you know, it's alcohol. It could be alcohol. It could be cigarettes. It could be television. It could be sugar. Um, it could be, you know, you name it. It could be a hobby, an interest. It could be something that in and of itself, it's not bad. It's just, you know, for you, it's your life. Oh, this is my life. Well, Paul said, our life is what? Jesus. Christ, who is our life. And you go, and you really think of that, and you go, hey, he's not really my life. I mean, I kind of believe in him, go to church, you know, and stuff. But I mean, but he's really my life. You go, yeah, that's that's what Paul's saying. That that's when you when you understand what Jesus has done for you and you see it in the proper perspective, you're gonna go, I want to live for him. You don't have to live for him. You're gonna go, I, I want to live. It's like if somebody saved your life, right? If you're walking across the street and somebody pushes you out of the way. You know, and they take the bullet, so to speak, you know, for you, and then they survive and they're just mangled, right? I mean, you'd feel obligated. You go, why did you do that? And they go, because I love you. I care for you. You go, that, that, would, that would melt your heart. You just, how do you pay that back? You can't. And they just, what do they tell you? They go, just live, live the best life, you know, or say something to you. Okay. You know, and then what is that? And it becomes a movie, right? You, Jesus is going, but he, he is our life. Following the same purpose and plan, he said, I only do that which I see the Father doing. I only say the things which I hear the Father saying. You know, and then Paul would say, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. It's not rocket science. It's just this following, this determination to, to follow Jesus. So you, know, you ask yourself, you know, first and foremost, does it help me? Does it hurt me? And then the most difficult thing, you know, maybe in this is, you know, uh, is it loving? You know, I mean, if you really put it into perspective and you want to really see this, you know, um, you know, Paul makes it, you know, really clear. First Corinthians chapter three or 10, excuse me, 23 says, you know, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. You know, so you have to ask yourself, you know, if me doing this, what's the effect that it has on other people? Just because it's okay for you to do, what's the impact? Like I said, I shared with you something from Charles Spurgeon. So it leads me to, you know, Romans 14. Yeah, look there in verse 7 through 9. So you kind of get the idea of what Paul is doing. There's no I in team. Everything is about doing things for other people. It's about sacrifice. It's about not, you know, again, I always liked, you know, Ron Blue. You know, we talk about financial management. Ron Blue would say this. He goes, you know, I don't, I don't look at the success of my year by how much money, you know, I make each year. How I determine my success is how much I give away. That, as a Christian, not what do I have, but what, what did I give? It's just so opposite the world. The world is, you know, it's conforming. You know, it's, it's get, 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 get. And Jesus is what? Give, 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 give. God so what? 
love. He gave, he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave. And he's still doing that. So you look at that in verses seven through nine, he says, for we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, he says, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So is it safe to say that what Paul's saying is Jesus, his desire is to be Lord over all. Does that make sense? And that's exactly what he's saying. He goes, it doesn't make any difference because they go, oh, they're dead. Guess what? Jesus is, he's the Lord over the living and the dead. Those that are what? That are in wait. So what that's telling us is that death is not the end. Physical death is not the end. Jesus is still Lord over all those who are dead, who are waiting, you know, future judgment. But you look at, uh, like I said, you know, Paul would say, you know, to the Roman Christians, no man's an island here. You know, we don't live to ourselves. And, and we, we struggle so much, you know, in our, in our world. Uh, but Paul makes it clear, you know, we aren't an island. We weren't created only for ourselves. We were created for God and we were created for one another. And, you know, you think about, you know, the United States, I mean, we have, we have a big problem that we're being squeezed into. I mean, if you think of this as a statistic here, 61% of Americans. So that's basically three out of five people. You know what they believe that the chief purpose of life is? Three out of five people. This is just in an open survey. Just ask people, wait, what, what is your purpose? Enjoyment and personal satisfaction. 61% of Americans, that's what they believe. Do we have an eye problem? Yeah. Yeah, because people just live for themselves. It's always about them. I mean, you could do a whole study on narcissism. You know, we become the center of our world. Everything, every decision that we make, you know, we, we have, you know, an elevated, you know, view of self here in the United States. And it's sad. And even in the church world today. Verses 10 through 12 go on, it says, and so why do you condemn another believer? What was Paul dealing with? You know, they're, they're arguing over, you know, uh, what they could eat. You know, do you eat meat? Do you not eat meat? You know, is it kosher? You know, people think about kosher, you know, usually think kosher dill pickles, right? You know, it always comes to mind. Kosher is just, does it follow the dietary laws of the Old Testament, the things that were required of the Jews in the Old Testament. That, that's what makes something kosher. So there's all kinds of items that are kosher. And he's going, you know, why do you look down on another believer? Because they don't believe what you believe. And people do it all the time. He says, remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, he's not talking about the great white throne judgment with regard to salvation. He's talking about, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bema judgment, the Bema seat. That's the 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 seat that you would see in the Olympic Games where you're not rewarded based on your life with regard to salvation because if you're in Christ Jesus, Jesus purchased your salvation for you. Amen. That's why we say made right. That's what the whole series is about. We are made right by what Jesus has done for us. But every one of us is going to stand at the Bema seat and we're going to be rewarded based on those things that we did as a Christian. Or you're going to have things taken away from you because you did them as a Christian. Or, because we think about, it's not sin in this regard, but this is the best way I can explain it to you. We talk about there's sins of commission, things that you set out to do. 
And there's also sins of what? Omission, things that you should have done. And, and in those, those are things, those are rewards, those are jewels that you could have in your crown that you will lose that day. It says, but Paul says, but you'll be saved as by fire, right? So everything's going to be tried by fire. And will those things stand? So that's going to cause us to go back. And we should ask ourselves, hey, is what I'm doing, is it good for me? Hey, is it, you know, addictive? Uh, could it hurt me? Uh, and the third thing, what, you know, is it loving? Does it edify? Does it help other people? And, th and those, those should be just simple things that we ask ourselves every single day. And Paul's going, if you would do that, then you wouldn't have much struggle with, you know, what he's talking about here. Verse 11 goes on. It says, for the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will what? Bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance and praise to God. That's whether you like it or not. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That was one of the interesting things in sharing, you know, with our tour guide. I'm going, well, what's going to take place on the Mount of Olives? And he said, you know, yeah, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. I go, who's going to be with him? Well, the Bible says the saints, those that place their hope and their trust in him. So, it, you know, and these, but he does tours every single week but like all of us we doesn't mean that we necessarily understand all the truth and so to be able to share that and go hey but you know we have an opportunity to come back with him and to rule and to reign with him you know that's why people ask you know what's your favorite place to go in all of israel it always is the temple mount always to think that i'm going to walk you know one day where i'm going to walk one day you know i'm walking today where i'm going to walk after I pass from this life. I will be back here. I told Susan, write your name on a tree, see if it's still there. You know, when you when when you come back, and and so it's it's an exciting thing, you know, that you think about it. I mean, and there's other places, obviously, you could, but you know for sure on the Temple Mount, you know that that is the place. And so it's just a it's a surreal moment. And he says in verse twelve, Paul says, "Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God." Okay, so here's the key. Read this with me, verse twelve. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Do you have to count for somebody else? No. You only have to give an account for you. And there's freedom in that. So you go, oh, good. You're, you're not going to be in line. So why judge other people? Let God judge them. You know, our worry should just be ourselves, right? Man, you're going to have a one-on-one -on -one with God himself. And, and he's going to look at every aspect of your life, not just the things that you did, but the things that you thought, the things that passed through your eyes and the things that passed through your ears that went into your mind. He's the discerner of thought and intent, and he'll know why you did it. Even the good things that you had a terrible motive because you wanted something in return. The Bible says that he knows all those things. You go, I don't have time to worry about anybody else. And in all fairness, you look at that. So he says, you know, so stop judging, you know, one another for being weak or, you know, and the legalistic person wasn't the, you know, the strong person in that regard. The legalistic person was the one who thought they were strong, but actually they're weak because they were afraid of liberty. They were afraid of freedom, yeah, you know, because I can't do that. I can't. Well, that doesn't make you strong. That makes you weak. Paul's going, I, I can do everything. He says, but I choose to do all kinds of stuff. And I choose not to do all kinds of stuff. And he goes, why? Because I'm free. That's the beauty of it. I really am free 
in Jesus. So again, the Bema seat, not going to be judged for our sins. We're going to be judged for what? Our service. Every knee, he's, he's quoting Isaiah 45, 23 there. Verse 13 goes on, says, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and to fall. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, and it was awesome. We got to stand right there, you know, see where Jesus taught this, this sermon from. You know, he really helped the disciples understand what it means when you think about stop judging other people. And basically, he was just saying this. He goes, you can make judgments. You know, people go, can we not judge? No, he goes right on in the same chapter, and he tells them to watch out for certain people. Well, if you're going to watch out for them, you have to do what? You have to make a judgment that they're acting a certain way and not be around them, right? You go, you make judgment. There's nothing wrong with making judgments. What Scripture is telling us in context is when you make a judgment, are you willing to put yourself under the same microscope for that same judgment? Are you willing to, you know, the, the thing about hypocrisy is you would tell someone else, you know, uh, not to do. It's like we looked at during COVID, right? You go, what was the big, the big statement was rules for what? The, but what? Or rules for me and not for thee, right? That was, a, that's what it was. So you go, you had to have a mask on. Then you'd look at all these government, you know, politicians and there are dinners and stuff and nobody's wearing it or they're getting their hair done. You can't get your hair done, you know, and all these things, you know, and you're going, wow, it's like, Okay, so I start to understand that. And so basically what he's telling us is, you know, whatever judgment that you're willing to put others is, are you willing to put yourself under that same judgment? Are you willing, and you go not for the same thing per se, but with the same intensity. You know, because I remember, you know, uh, I, I had a, a friend and he said, you know, uh, when he got married and he said, you know, and, and I, I had a lot of respect for him because he'd go, you know, um, when we were dating, he said, you know, I, I never crossed the line, you know, with my, with my wife. And I mean, he was, I really, to be honest with you, I wasn't even tempted. You weren't even tempted. He's like, you know, and he told us all these stuff. Well, years went on. We, he was sharing at an event and he said, you know, I used to struggle with, uh, before I got married, with uh, homosexuality. I was going, well, that's why you didn't struggle. You didn't struggle with your wife, you know. I mean, I mean, I was going, you struggled. But, but he made us feel like, you know, that, oh, because I didn't struggle in this area. And I was like, well, of course you didn't struggle in that area. It wasn't even a temptation for you because it really wasn't even a desire of you. So he couldn't say, you know, like judge someone harshly for that because you go, I, I'm not even, it doesn't even tempt me. No, he's going, what, he, what God is saying is whatever area of your life where you struggle, wherever area of life you're in sin, would you be willing to put that same kind of intensity of judgment for other people with that same intensity over yourself? And most people would say this, they go, you know, hey, it's just, you know, God's grace, right? God's good. You know, I just thank God for the grace, you know, in my life. Cause you know, Hey, nobody's perfect. Right. I mean, we, we all struggle. Paul says we all struggle in all kinds of ways and, you know, and stuff. And I mean, you know, and you go, what are you doing? Well, I'm judging you by your actions, right? But I'm judging myself by my intentions and we're all guilty of it. 
And Jesus is going, until you're willing to, you know, judge equally there, then you go, really, you have no place for judgment. And so it's, it's not that, you know, we want to continue to judge. You know, that harsh, it doesn't mean that we don't make judgments or we don't make discernments and we don't make decisions. We have to do that every single day. But not with a, as Romans 8 says, there's no condemnation. There's no downward wrath. You stop playing God in other people's lives with regard to their failures or their faults. And you leave that to God himself. And, and you know, we, we do this and we can be so guilty of it. You ever had somebody, they go, you know, I know you don't eat meat, you know. And I don't want to stumble you, but, you know, I invited you over for dinner and we're having tri-tip and we're having chicken and we've got, you know, pork chops and we've got, you know, um, what am I thinking of? Hot links. And you go, is, is that helping the person? Is that going to help them get over, you know, their desire to, to eat vegetables? You go by, by just cooking all kinds of meats and you go, no, it'd be about as helpful as, you know, a parent whose child comes up and says, mom. I'm afraid of the dark. And dad picks him up, takes him in their room, turns the light off, locks the door, you know, tells him that best way to teach him is what? Just throw him right in there. He'd go, you go, well, what does a mom do? And she goes, like my mom, and we were little, and we go, mom, I'm afraid of the dark. Okay, we'll leave the, we'll leave the door cracked and the hall light up, right? And then they invented that thing called what? The night. That was so cool. I remember we got the nightlight, you know, I lay there in bed and just look at that thing. And what is it? It's a process of love. It's drawing you, right? It's meeting a person where they're at and helping draw them to where they need to be. Does that describe Jesus to us? Is that what Jesus did for you? It's what he did for me. He meets us right where we're at. It's like that expression. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And so the same way that God has loved you and me, he's going, that's the love that I, I want you to have for one another. Because the church then, in Paul's day, they were always arguing over food and over drink, what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, you know, over circumcision, over, you know, not being circumcised. What day did they go to, you know, synagogue? What day did they, they worship Jesus? They were fighting about all these things all the time. And Paul was saying, those are, those are lesser things. They're not the essential things. And so quit making these judgments because the judgment was unto separation. They were, they were determining to no longer, they go, well, we're just not going to have them over. I mean, you know, they don't like spare ribs. So guess what? They just don't come over for dinner. And Paul would go, you know, well, what do they like for dinner? They go, they like eggplant. Okay. Then we like eggplant. You know, so you fix eggplant, right? And and then what does that do? That even if even if the person they come over and they see you eating eggplant, they know that you don't like eggplant. What does that do to their heart? They go, they love. Why? And they go, because they would eat eggplant. They go, they go, you do that for me. Yeah, well, I, I did it for you. You know, so it's important. You know, we see that. So in verse fourteen again, so he says. And know that I'm convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. So we know today there's, there's no ceremonial dictates today in the New Testament to what you can or cannot eat. So it's something, obviously, that they struggled with. 
in the old, from the Old Testament. It was the Jews that were under the law, it wasn't the church in the New Testament. So, you know, eating something or not eating something, I think the obvious, you know, conclusion there is it doesn't make you closer to God, even though, you know, actually eating certain foods can give you heartburn, heart disease, um, digestive issues, obesity. So in one sense, I guess what you eat could get you closer to God. Maybe not the way that you're thinking, though. You just might see him earlier, obviously, you know, than later. But I can tell you this. I, I know, you know, um, one thing I learned on this trip, I, I'd had baklava for the very first time years ago when we went to Israel, and it, but it was from uh, Lebanon. I went to this Lebanese restaurant. It was pistachio. So so I was looking for the baklava. So I went to that. It was called Abagash is the name of that restaurant. So I went there. Took my sister uh, there while we were in Israel, and uh, so I had baklava there. And then at the airport in Amman, I had baklava from Jordan, and it was. Then I in Turkey, they had different baklava, and it was good. Then I got to Egypt, and they had baklava. What do you think it was? It was, I mean, any country is like it. It was like the most awesome thing. And I weigh too much of it. I only gained five pounds on the trip. And, and that's pretty sad because everybody else lost about 10. So it just, it just tells you how much baklava that I ate, but it was, but it was good. So, so I'm not condemning anybody that's you're eating or doing the wrong thing. Cause I was doing it and I just kept going, you know, what? verse 15, it says, and if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. So he's basically, don't, don't ruin somebody else's relationship by the things that you do. Ask yourself just over and over, is this helpful? Is this helping me? Is it helping me get closer to Jesus? When I do this, could it hurt me? Could it become an addiction in my life? If it can, get it out of your life. And the, and the hardest question, to always ask ourselves, you go, does what I'm doing, does it edify? Does it build other people up? Because remember, the Christian life isn't an I relationship. It's a team. It's a we relationship. No man is an island. Nobody lives to themselves. He said, nobody dies to themselves. And so we just constantly come back to that and just, you know, keep asking ourselves, you know, those questions. Verse 16 through 18, I'll just wrap this up. He says, then you will not be criticized for doing something that you believe is good. For the kingdom of, his, of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. And again, knowing the life that he's called us to. It says, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable. Amen? Amen. But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it will cause another believer to stumble. And I like what it says in the Living Bible there with regard to verse 20. It says, don't undo the work of God for a chunk of meat. It's true. And then it ends in verse 22 there. It says, and you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, 
but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something that they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and you do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything that you believe is not right, he says, you are sinning. And so, again, what does Paul say? That which is not of faith is what? It's sin. If you can't do it in good faith, don't do it. It doesn't get any simpler than that. G.K. Kesterton, he wrote this. He says, we do not want a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. And so the point of that is, you know, in how we live our lives, you know, we're never going to reach the world for Christ by being like the world. Amen. We're going to reach the world for Christ when we start living and acting like Christ. That's how the world is going to see the difference that Jesus makes. And it's not because we're legalistic and it's not because we're judgmental. It's because what? And he'll get into this next next week. It's because love is patient. Love is patient. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, how many like waiting in lines? You know, so you travel internationally, you know, you find out real quick. You just go from one line to the next. They just break you. So after a while, you're in a long line. You just go what? Just go with the flow. So you just turn around and pay attention to the line. You just start talking to the people around you and stuff. Next thing you know, you're at the front of the line. But we'd get in the line, you're like. And the very last line we got in was the best one. It said U.S. passports. So we get in the line. We're going through there. I notice the next 20 people in front of me, none of them have a U.S. passport. So you know what that means? They have to get fingerprinted and they got to get their picture taken and, and all this stuff. So finally, when Jason got to the, to the line, the guy at the desk goes, finally, a U.S. citizen. But guess who was stuck behind them? You know, we were. We were stuck behind every non-U.S. citizen in the U.S. citizen line. And, but it really wasn't their fault. You go, no, I didn't even know what line to get in. If Jason didn't point me to the right way, I'd have been on the wrong line too. So I, you know, I wasn't judging anybody. The, uh, I, if anything, I was mad at the airport. I go, you guys need to fix these signs. Like, put an arrow on the ground. The one in the air doesn't do me any good. But uh, I think I think you get the point of, you know, what Paul's saying. You know, it's, it's to live in love. And, and really, the point he's going to drive home is be patient with people. If you, if you want to make a difference in the world, you know, you think of all the things that we could do. When you think about what love is, is it's patient. You know, so that's our prayer this week, Lord, is you just prepare us. Make us patient. Amen. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace in our life. Lord, it is. It's so easy to become judgmental of other people who do things differently than we do and be frustrated with them and to become impatient. And yet, Lord, we're continually reminded that you're God, that you're perfect in all of your ways. And yet you humbled yourself and you left heaven and you came to earth and you took on a human body so that we could relate to you. And when you, you came here, you didn't demand that, that we do everything your way. You learned to speak the language of the people that, Lord, you wanted to reach. You served them. You cared for them. You loved them. You healed them. And most of all, Lord, you forgave them. That's what you offered on the cross was forgiveness. You said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so, Lord, today, as we just go from this place, I pray that we go in your love, we go in your grace and your mercy, that, Lord, each and every person who's here knows you as Savior and Lord. 
that they recognize that they're a sinner and that you're a savior and that heaven is a free gift to all who receive it. And Father, I pray that, Lord, they've received that gift. And yet that we wouldn't make it about us at that point, that we'd recognize that, God, you saved us for a purpose. You have a plan. And that plan includes knowing you and growing in our love for you. But it also includes growing in our love for the people that are around us. And as Paul said, that's not just the people in our life. It's not just the people in our homes, not just the people in our neighbor or who we work with. It's people all around the world, people who think like us, people who don't think like us, even people who's, who are enemies of us, to love them all the same. And God, that is just impossible without you. And so, Lord, we ask you to fill our hearts, to fill our minds, to fill us afresh with your spirit this week, Lord, that we might demonstrate Christ, Lord, every place that we go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, I'll invite you to stand to your